Welcome everybody to Monday edition of Texans All Access. Yes, I am your host, Sean Harris, and I am joined right off the bat by the voice of the Texans who I know had this guttural response to things that happened yesterday morning. We'll get to that in a second, but he is here. Mark Vandermeer, training camp is about seven weeks away. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like I wish it was one week away or maybe 24 hours away. That's how I feel. Although, look, it's summer and I guess, you know, we're going to have some time off here. Some of us from here and there and wherever. And it's good to get a little recharge going because we've been going at it. You know, we've had this team uh, practicing, working, getting to know them a little bit, Johnny. And I know we're going to get to know them a whole lot better. And everybody will have that chance during training camp. I'm excited for that because preseason games are going to be must see TV and radio and also whatever we get during the practices in training camp. So I'm excited for the fans to get a look and a listen as to what these guys are about. Go deeper, deeper within, if you will, before we get to opening day. No doubt. And we will go deeper a little bit. Drew Doherty will. With a Drew's Dozen, check out the alliteration, deeper with Drew's Dozen, Camus mm-hmm. Grugier Hill will join us. And Drew told me this is a fun one. The Hawaiian who has uh, done a lot in this league, including how about this little nugget of trivia? We now have two Hawaiians that have kicked off in an NFL game. Can you name them? Well, you should be able to now. Wait, so Grugier Hill kicked off? He did. In a a game, I believe it was at Dallas. Mm -hmm. Their kicker, and I'm trying to, I want to say Akers, David Akers. I believe it was Akers, was hurt. And Grugier Hill stepped in, kicked off, and he is – wow, how about that? The second Hawaiian two, – we have two Hawaiians that have kicked off an NFL game. Maybe there are others. I don't know, but I just know that two of them – we know two of them, Kaimi Fairbairn and Kamu uh, Grugier Hill. So we'll hear from Drew and Grugier Hill later in the show. But, Mark, a seismic AFC South mm. moment – Came down yesterday and on the Richter scale within the division. Well, in the NFL, it was about a seven. In the AFC South, in a division, it was about a nine plus. Julio Jones traded to the Tennessee Titans. Now, we're going to do what I call AFC South best slash most next. But I like to do a segment with you called Gut Reaction. When you saw it on Sunday morning that Julio Jones was going to the Tennessee Titans, what was your overall gut reaction to that? Well, it's huge, obviously. And I thought, okay, here we go. I'd rather have him go to the NFC or stay in the NFC and not affect the division. Uh, And I was trying to think about what it compares to. This is the biggest non-draft AFC South acquisition in how long, right? Yeah. When you think about big free agent signings, Now, never mind what they became, but what they were when they happened. And it's not a free agent signing. It's a trade. But big non-draft acquisitions. Look, Osweiler was a big one, right? That was a huge free agent signing that was seismic at the time. Uh, We didn't know how it was going to turn out. But remember, I'm talking about when the acquisition occurs as opposed to what it turns out to be. Because this might not be as big as you think when it's all said and done. And I'll tell you why. They're already the division champs. From 2020. Right. And they might need to do this. If I'm a Titans fan, I like that my team's continually trying to get better. 
because if you're not trying to get better, you're probably getting worse, right? right. You bring everything back. You think we're going to run it back. Well, things happen, injuries, whatever. It's not the same. Everybody else got better or enough teams to knock you down a peg or so. And that happened with the Texans last year, even though they did a lot of moves, uh, they clearly got worse record wise, a whole lot worse. And we are where we are with the Titans. You know, I think it helps them, Johnny, but I don't know if it helps them enough for what it is contractually and the status of it and all of that. When you still need help on the defensive side of the ball, maybe there was no deal to be made for a player to have that kind of impact on the defensive side of the ball for Tennessee. In fact, I don't think there was. But I still look at them on that side and say, that's where the real real work needs to be done. And I know they've made some moves and I know they've made some acquisitions that they feel are going to improve that side of play. So we'll see how it goes. You know, it is intriguing for them and we're going to get a front row seat twice a year to see how it goes for them in the short term. Anyway, it feels very Kansas City Chiefs-esque. And I've thought about this. I've thought about this a lot because. Over the you know, as this was happening, I was like, boy, that defense could have used a shot in the arm more so than the offense did. Yes, they did lose Jonu Smith and uh, they lost Jack Conklin the year before that. So they've lost some firepower on the offensive side. But look, they still have Derrick Henry coming back and they, they have AJ Brown. Now you throw Julio in there. I was listening to John Lopez and Wade Smith today on In the Loop and they hit on a couple of things. As I was driving and I was listening to him, and one of them was, look, there's one football. They can't all have the ball at once. So if Henry has got it, we're used to seeing that. Then A.J. and Julio don't. If Julio doesn't have it, or if Julio has it, then A.J. Brown doesn't have it. And he's been a scarier dude against the Texans than, than anybody has. Then Julio has. Julio's had not had great success against the Texans, but that's a, a different day and time. But it's very Chiefs-esque in the fact that okay, the defense isn't where I know Mike Vrabel would like it to be. And I think what he's done and he and John Robinson have done is, hey, you know what? We can't build that defense overnight. We don't have the pieces in place for the defense to be great. Whereas the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the pieces to be a great defense. So they, yes, went and got Tom Brady and got him at a semi-discount, I guess. But they already had the pieces to be great defensively so they could be a balanced team in total the Chiefs looked at it and went okay we've done a lot to try and improve the defense but we're just gonna have to outscore guys because we're just not good across the board we'll try and find a move here a move there but we can't just wipe that thing down and start all over again we got money in Honey Badger we got money in Frank Clark you know Chris Jones we've got some pieces we could build to become a better defense but they're like you know what we got Pat we got this offense. We're just going to try and outscore people. It felt like the Titans looked at it and went, look, we got Jeffrey Simmons, and that's pretty much it defensively. Kevin Bayard, too. We don't have enough pieces defensively to be a great balanced offense-defense team, so let's just dominate on offense and see with our running game whether teams can outscore us because if we get a lead on somebody, they got to stop Henry, and they're not going to be able to do it. So it's almost as if they took a Kansas City Chiefs sort of approach, and that is we're going to score 35 on you. Can you get the 38 on us? Especially if we get a lead, because then you got to try and handle Derrick Henry. And I'm like, that's it's a different way of thinking in some sense, but it's the way the Chiefs were thinking a few years ago when they went into the draft, second round. They needed a corner badly. They needed corners. What they do? They drafted Miko Hardman. 
They didn't go get a corner. They went and got more offensive firepower. And what they do? They ended up going to win a championship that year. Mm. So they just fed the stronger beast and hoped that that beast would take over. And it did. Brought them from behind in all three playoff games uh, that they played in that 2019 season. They still have to get better defensively to do it for a long stretch of time. That's why I think Tampa Bay will be good again because offense, defense, if the offense doesn't do it for you, the defense can still win you a game. Neither the Titans or the Chiefs can do that. So it's going to be interesting to see. And here's the other thing. There's no Arthur Smith. So there's no Arthur Smith calling plays. And I think that's a massive deal because I think Arthur Smith was huge for Ryan Tannehill's career. Now, I don't think that Ryan Tannehill fall off a cliff. In fact, I think he is uh, an excellent. I think he's a top 10 quarterback in his league, top 12 at worst. I think he's excellent. And I think Arthur Smith kind of stoked that fire that maybe he doesn't need to be there to keep that fire going. But it is a new coordinator. And we've seen it happen in Tennessee. You know, Matt LaFleur took over in 2018. Matt was an awesome play caller. He was everything. And then that Tennessee offense just didn't go anywhere in 2018. But then the next year, Arthur Smith moves up as LaFleur moves on. And you're like, wait a second, who's this guy? And he turns into one of the better offensive coordinators in the entire league. So that's one thing that I think will have to get factored in Todd Downing and how he is his offensive coordinator and how he puts all those pieces in the right spots and keeps everybody happy. That is going to be interesting to see. Also interesting to see, Mark, is how you handle today's topic of AFC South's best. Okay, let's go. Are you ready? So this ready. is best or most, depending on how I phrase this. Okay. All right. This does not include the Texans. I took the All Texans right. out because our emotions and bias will play in, and I don't want that to happen. Three teams, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Indianapolis. So when the Texans face these teams, they're facing the best in the division. So here we go, right off the top. And this will be offensive slanted today. So right off All the right. top. What is the AFC South's best overall offense? Indianapolis, Tennessee, or Jacksonville? Well, I'd still have to go, I still have to go Tennessee because, look, I know that Indianapolis has a good running game, good line. I know they're replacing the left tackle. Uh, they still have issues, if you will, or question marks at pass catching. Uh, but with the Titans, when you go with Derrick Henry and what Ryan Tannehill has been able to do with him, and then you go Brown and what he's been doing as far as the, the upward mobility and improvement. Then you add Julio Smith. Johnny Smith is a big loss to me, but I think they can find ways to overcome that. I wouldn't even put Jacksonville in the same class right now. There's so many question marks with a rookie quarterback. I don't care how good he is. Come on. Uh, like Peyton Manning threw a gazillion interceptions his rookie year, and he turned out to be one of the best of all time. Maybe that's Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying Lawrence is going to throw a gazillion interceptions. We've gotten a little spoiled, Johnny, with rookie quarterbacks playing really well right off the bat. Maybe Lawrence does that, but that is a heavy assumption. You already have a proven track record with what the Titans can do. Stop it. Stop Derrick Henry. Good luck with that, because if they're healthy, with that running game, it's going to make everybody look better. Now, if they run into injuries, but if any team runs into injuries, they've got concerns. The Titans are the best offense right now. I don't disagree with that. I think overall, I think it's interesting if Carson Wentz is back in 2017 form, then it becomes, ooh, now, uh, now I got to think about that one a little bit. If Carson Wentz gets there, there is no guarantee. So i ask you this. You, you brought up Trevor Lawrence. And it's funny because you, you brought Peyton Manning as well in his rookie year. He threw 28 mm-hmm. interceptions, I think, 
It's still a record. And, of course, we know Peyton Manning, what he turned, into, turned out to be. On the other side, you have Justin Herbert, who was fantastic last year. Right. If you had to bet Trevor Lawrence being one or the other, which way would you go? More Peyton well, Manning if, or more Justin Herbert? If I bet Manning, am I saying he's going to turn out to be an all-time great eventually but have a shaky rookie year? If I'm just talking rookie year, just Johnny, rookie I think year. Just the year. likelihood is less like Herbert, is more like a guy who struggles his rookie year. I mean, Herbert, I think, is an outlier. Look, I know that you know Deshaun had his great six-and-a-half games as a rookie before he got hurt. Mahomes didn't play. Uh, you know, other guy, Baker Mayfield came on and, and looked pretty good. You know, Murray looked pretty good. You saw some promise for the future, no doubt. You've seen some good flashes lately, but it's a lot to ask. Ask Ryan Tannehill what it's like to start as a rookie quarterback because he did it yeah. in Miami. I think that it's it's a lot to ask, especially coming into a bad team situation, right? You know, yeah. even the Texans, Johnny, the Texans, you know, coming off 2016 division champions have some pelts, if you will, relative to the, to the division and making the playoffs last couple of years before 2017. Not a terrible situation to come into for a rookie quarterback. Am I right? You know, right. Lawrence is coming into a situation where Jacksonville's been terrible since 2017, and they were terrible before that. So I'm not saying I, – I, I'm not thinking that it's a it, all the seeds are sown and ready to go. Now, with the Chargers – Philip Rivers, think about what he did the year before he left. Eh, but two years before he left, they were good. They were a playoff team. They beat Baltimore in Baltimore when Lamar Jackson was a rookie. I think that Herbert stepped into an okay situation and just took it to another level. I don't expect Lawrence to do that. Okay. AFC South's best offensive line. Well, uh, you could answer this better than me. So we're taking the Texans out of it. Okay. And by the way, with a new left tackle in Indy, I'm not saying the Texans are completely out of this competition here. All right. 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 It's very unknown because we don't know, like, where are they playing cannon? What's going to happen with Titus? You know, you got Laramie at yeah. left tackle. Great. A lot of teams would love to have Laramie as their left tackle. Uh, <laughs> yes. We'll see how it goes. You know, if Britt can return to his form, a lot of teams would love to have him at center. Uh, so you get a lot of unknowns, but we're just taking the other three right now. Right. Um, right now, look, uh, Eric Fisher with, takes over at left tackle for Indy. Yeah. Next to I, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, it, Gowinski, Braden Smith. That's Indy. I, all right. So Indy has the best setup, you know, because we, and we've seen teams, heck, the Texans themselves without Laramie in the lineup were able to pass protect pretty well and put up big numbers late last season. So yeah. I would probably have to say Indy overall based on, you know, what, what you're looking at there um, projected wise, but projected wise, but with the Titans, I still like what they're able to do with Derrick Henry, but Henry's a big part of that. They work in concert well together. I'll go Indy. Okay. This one's going to sound strange, but just go with me. Mm -hmm. AFC South's best backfield and this is why I say it this way. Tennessee, Derrick Henry. Jacksonville, James Robinson, Carlos Hyde, and Travis Etienne. Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack back healthy, Naeem Hines, and even Jordan Wilkins. So in one place, you got one guy. In another place, you got two plus a Weapon X threat. And in one place, you have four legitimate options. Which one is the best overall backfield 
look, ta- uh, Taylor, five yards per carry last year. Mac coming back, that's big, right? Jacksonville, we don't know about the rookie. Look, looks good on paper, looks good on the hoof, like you say. Yeah. And Robinson looked, Robinson looked pretty good last year, right? But I'm not ready to go there. You know, David Johnson averaged more yards per carry than Robinson. Like, little known fact here, but we all <laughs> rave about Robinson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. Derrick Henry, I'm going to stick to this. I don't care if he's one guy. You know, it's like talking about quarterback depth, okay? If you're talking about depth, yeah, they might not have the depth. But the one guy they have is so supreme to me, and I've said this many times, he should have been the league MVP last year. Derrick Henry makes them have the best backfield. Now, purists would say the backfield includes the quarterback, but we're not going to do that right now. Yeah, I did, that's true. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. It would be Tannehill, Trevor Lawrence, and Carson Wentz. All of them are capable. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many offensive coordinators of those three places are drawn up plays for them to run, but they're all capable of getting out and hurting you on a scramble. I thought this was phenomenal, Mark. I, I went on last Friday, I wrote this article about the about running games because, you know, let's talk about Rex Burkhead and you know, why did the Texans sign him and what are they doing? And, you know, there's a lot of you know, just noise. And nice. I was like, wait, let me let me look at what the running games did last year and how they were constructed. So I look at the top 10 NFL team rushing leaders. And it was kind of, it was interesting to look at how all 10 were built differently. Like you had the Patriots that had four guys that accounted for at least 12% of the total yardage total. Four guys. Then in Cleveland, you had two, you had Chubb and Hunt. And then in Philadelphia, you had four, but two of them were quarterbacks. You had the Rams that had four, you had three guys, and then somebody, a receiver. Mm-hmm. Then you had Tennessee. Derrick Henry accounted for 75%. 75% of Tennessee's rushing yardage in 2020. The only other one that got close was Dalvin Cook, and that was 64%. Well, that, that speaks to my MVP argument Unreal. a little bit. But, Johnny, let's go back to the quarterbacks here. In the AFC South, you have Tannehill, you have Trevor Lawrence, you have Carson Wentz. Take the running backs out of it. Take Tennessee's ground attack out of it. If, if I said to Tennessee, all right, Mr. Robinson, will you take Trevor Lawrence instead of Ryan Tannehill right now for this year? Would he do it? Man, that's a great question. I would say no. No, you I want the experience. No. Right. Yeah, Ryan Tan. Now, if you said if you said you get Trevor Lawrence for the rest of his career, well, oh, that's different. Yeah, that's different. Because Tan right. Hill's on into his 30s at this point, 31, I think. So that's a different question. But yeah, right now, no, you want Tannehill. There's no question. How about this? You've got I'll give you a healthy, guaranteed healthy Carson Wentz. I don't know how he's going to play, but he's going to stay healthy for 17 games plus whatever you do in the postseason. Take him straight up for Ryan Tannehill right now. I'm taking a Tannehill. No See, doubt. You take a Tannehill. Tannehill. Look, Tannehill, Tannehill and Wentz have this in common. They're both first round draft choices who were left for dead. Right. Basically. Yes. I mean, come on. Philly right. got, got rid of yeah, them. Exactly. Tannehill available. Uh, and both guys health problems where they originally drafted because Tannehill, as we all remember, was unhealthy, unable to go when the Dolphins finally broke through and made the playoffs in his tenure and had to go to Pittsburgh with Matt Moore playing. So health and Matt Moore did not pull a Nick Foles. 
So <laughs> health, clearly a problem for both guys. But Tannehill's overcome that for now, for now, for with now. the Tennessee Titans. Uh, but these are interesting questions to me because, man, has Ryan Tannehill come around. Right. But yeah. that's what Indy's hoping, because you're right. Wentz could go back to the previous form, but he's never really done it the whole way through. Right. You know, so he's got to remove that kind of doubt. And I think that's why there's some hesitation to really get Indy uh, to be a, a favorite or at least, um, I don't know, a dark horse to win. They're definitely a dark horse more than that to win the division, but a, a favorite to do any kind of damage in the AFC playoffs. OK, so let's circle all the way back around. OK, to. What we talked about at the beginning of the segment, that being Julio goes to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Give me the AFC South's best wide receiver. In Jacksonville, you have DJ Chark, who took a step back. Urban Meyer had some interesting things to say about him. But you've also got Marvin Jones there. You've got Colin Johnson, a young guy. In Tennessee, you have Julio, you have AJ. In Indianapolis, you have T.Y. Hilton, you have Michael Pittman. You have Paris Campbell, who nobody's ever seen. Who's the mm-hmm. AFC South's best wide receiver right now? It's Julio Jones. And, you know, you look at the yards per game in his career, and it's 10 yards better than everybody else. I mean, that's that's a phenomenal stat right there. Ridiculous. Over a career, 10 yards average per game. I mean, that's sick. You know, it doesn't sound like much, but you got to look at what it takes to get that that's number. A, that's a first down extra per game per game. That's crazy considering oh. how long he's played. He's definitely the best receiver in the league right now. That's easy to say right now. Yeah. You look at Brown year one to year two jump was really good. Will he do year two to year three? We'll see. Uh, I, I think Brandon cooks is nowhere outside of the top four receivers in the division. Okay. I know we're I not talking that. Texans I, here, yeah. but you still look, I know how everybody feels about what's happened, but, but Brandon cooks is still look Julio got traded for a two, you know, who got traded for a two and some other stuff cooks yeah. got traded for a one and they got traded for another one. They got traded for a two. I mean, two. cooks that says something about the way yeah. people feel about his talent, how yes. it's valued. Brandon cooks is certainly one of the best in the division. Now we'll see how the rest of the troops shake out here. How will you feel if by the end of the year, the AFC South's best wide receiver is Nico Collins? How will you feel? Johnny, I will feel <laughs> so good. Come on, I'll be floating. You know me. <laughs> that, would, that would be outstanding. I would ask you who the best tight end is in the division. But Mark, here are your options. Mm-hmm. Jack Doyle, mm-hmm. Tim Tebow, <laughs> James O'Shaughnessy, and probably the guy we would all say is Anthony Ferkser from Tennessee. It's not the tight end division that it was a few years ago when Indy had Doyle and Ebron and Tennessee had Jonu Smith. It's not, it's not the tight end division it was, uh, it was a few years ago. So maybe, uh, maybe that goes by the wayside. But I'll tell you what, the receivers in this division are ridiculous ridiculous so secondaries better get ready to face and now julio jones gets added in as well mark you did very well with afc south's best appreciate your time my friend thanks johnny all right coming up next we're gonna have our drew's dozen with kamu grugier hill he is fantastic this is a really fun interview you want to stay tuned to texans all access all access all access Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Glad to be with you. Now, during the season, 
this is most of the time during the season. My man Drew Doherty, co-host of In The Lab podcast, and you see him on Texas 360, which by the way, you will see yours truly on Saturday night, so make sure you tune in to that. But you should tune in every Saturday so you can see Drew. Drew is fantastic. Uh, we are great friends. We've been doing this for a long time. But during the season, I always love getting Drew's interviews. I get a deep slam from DP, and I get Drew's dozen from Drew. And they're always two of my favorite interviews during the week because Drew is so good at getting players to answer questions that are a little uh, left of center, if you will, i.e. not very football-y questions. Hey, what'd you think about that tackle you made on third and six? No, it's more like, hey, if you were going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which guitar would you steal? Jimi Hendrix or Prince's? Which, by the way, Prince would have turned 63 today. Moment of silence. Man, I love Prince. Anyways, point being, Drew Doherty does a tremendous job with Drew's Dozen. I love that segment. So we decided, hey, let's try and do one in the offseason with some of the guys in the offseason. Because maybe during the offseason as opposed to the season, maybe the guys are a little looser and kind of roll with the punches a little bit more. Not that they don't during the season, but, you know, look, they're thinking about the game, thinking about game week, all that kind of stuff. Maybe the trip that we have to take if it's a road game. During the offseason, yeah peel the curtain back a little bit, have a little fun. And that's what Drew did with linebacker Camus Grugier-Hill. This is going to be a fun one. Take a listen to Drew's Dozen. Time now for a Drew's Dozen. We haven't done this in a while, and the perfect guy to do it with is linebacker, special teamer, Hawaiian, Camus grugier how you doing, my friend? What's going on? I'm, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Well, first things first, I mentioned Hawaiian in there, and I've been able to go to Hawaii twice. I got to, I'm so old, I've covered Pro Bowls there. I, I got to cover a few of them, and I love it. I want to go back. I miss it so, so very much. And you've recently talked about how you thought Houston has some similarities to your home there in Honolulu. What are they? How could you possibly make that connection? <laughs> you know, I'm blessed, and I'm, I'm definitely a little spoiled, Um just being there and, and being able to go home and um, on the, in the off season or, you know, whenever to, to just really call that home. But I mean, believe it, I'm telling you, man, like I, I love it here. I love it here in Houston. Um, it's really just, you know, the hospitality and just the warmth of everyone, you know, um, just the love I feel and, and the, just everyone's so nice, you know, it's just, I kind of really have, at least my experience, <laughs> I've uh, you know, uh, it, it definitely gets a little, has a little feel from home. Glad, I'm glad to hear that. I'm from here, too. So it's good to know that you see some some shades of home here in Houston. You know, one of the zillion things that I loved about my time in Hawaii was Spam Musubi. Oh, you can't beat it, man. For those who, okay, you, you, you like it. So for those who don't know what that is, can you just please explain it? And can you explain how often you would eat it growing up? Yeah, okay. So Spam Musubi, is, it's, it sounds bad, but it's, it's like cut up Spam. It's a slice of Spam. Um, on rice and it's wrapped in no we call it nori which is just seaweed or mm-hmm. um you know seaweed wrap and it sounds it sounds crazy but no, until good. you try it it is literally it's amazing and it's it's kind of one of those things i mean i i i've had it since i was i can even remember you know yeah. it's one of those things you're playing youth soccer or you know youth sports and at halftime or after the game you come you, you have like a bag of chips and a spam was to be so um you know, whenever my family comes out to visit, they always bring a bunch for some of the teammates and, and <laughs> I always uh, convert them to, to loving it. So it's definitely, yeah. definitely a good treat. 
that was a staple when I was in in the Pro Bowl covering those practices on the morning. We'd get one of those and a Diet Dr. Pepper and roll out to practice. Anyways, you just brought up soccer. So that was your sport. Uh, you didn't play American football till your junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. What position did you play in soccer? I was a forward. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like to I like to score, which is which is uh, different because then I went to football and played defense, never scored. So, right. yeah, kind of um, different. Did you, did you have a favorite soccer player growing up, or do you have one now? Yeah, growing up it was Ronaldinho. I loved him, the Brazilian man. It was uh, I love soccer, and it was really my first love. And it's kind of you know God's really just had his his grace over my life, and and he kind of just directed me into um, my path with football, and it's it's been amazing. So is Brazil your, when the World Cup's going on? Is Brazil the team you're, you're cheering for outside of the United States? Uh, yeah, I was going to say outside of the United States. Yeah, it would have to be Brazil would be a second. I got you. Okay, so what's your what's your professional team that you love? Was it Barcelona because he was mainly with Barcelona? Or? It was Barcelona for a while, yeah. And then I, I kind of switched over. I You know, I had no loyalty to the soccer game. It was, uh, you know, then I started liking Chelsea a little bit. I got you. Is that your team yeah. now? I, you know, I've kind of fallen out of, out of the soccer game. I, yeah. I don't keep up with it as much, but. You know, in high school, I was, I was heavy into it. Okay, so you played soccer growing up. You're from Hawaii. You also played football. You have to know Kaimi Fairburn from back then, right? I mean, oh, it's, it's such a course. small – Yeah, what's, well, the, what's well, your background with Kaimi? Well, not only that, I mean, we went to rival high school, so I've seen this guy four times a year, you know? Okay. like, um, And it, it's funny because I was, I was actually just at his house uh, this past weekend, and I was telling him, I was like, bro, it's funny. We, we knew you are going to the league, like, your junior year of high school really <laughs> this bro he was unbelievable in high school yeah that good well it makes yeah. sense i mean he he did win the kicker of the year award in college when he was at ucla mm-hmm. and then came here and he's been great ever since so uh you can kick too uh i don't know that everyone knows that philadelphia eagles fans know it, but you had to kind of fill in as a kicker and chris collinsworth was amazed when you did it on sunday night football but mm-hmm. and you played soccer of course yeah <laughs> like i got this no problem you kicked it to the goal line it's one of those things that I, I knew. I was like, no, I, I got this. And then I woke up the next morning and it's like, wow, I haven't done this in so many years. I, my whole leg was black and blue. Was it really just from that? Those, those just from things? that. Yeah. I was even telling Kami about that. I was like, does your, does your, do you ever get bruises or anything? He's like, no. And I was like, well, I did. <laughs> That's great stuff. Okay. Um, who has the best hair on the Houston Texans right now? Best hair. Uh, I, I'm, I, guys need to step the hair game up here for sure. But I, I would have to go with Kahale. Um, is it was his last name? Kahale wearing, yeah, yeah. Wearing, yeah, Kahale wearing, because he just has that surfer boy, you know, hair right now. A lot of people tease him that he dyed it, and he's 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 denying it, but I think he did too. You think so? And he's I, he's got a Hawaiian background as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. Now, is Kamu is is that your your full first name, or is that a shortening of? Because like Kaimi is not. It's, you know, no, yeah. So my my, it's short for Kamuela, yeah. Kamuela, okay, yeah. okay. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. Because Kahale means I think tower to the heavens or wind from the. I can't remember what he he explained it on this podcast. Yeah, I've yeah I, got, I, got, I, got a, I got one of those long names too. All right. Hey, you mentioned that you've been uh, you've gone to a few teammates' houses. Y'all have done some some mm-hmm. grilling, some barbecuing. Mm-hmm. Who's the best cook so far that you've encountered on the Texans? You know who's actually a sleeper is Jordan Jenkins. This guy throws throws some stuff on the grill that's pretty impressive. What was that? What are we talking about here? What did he get going? Well, he did, well he's he's heavy into steaks, but the way he his his preparation is 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 the sleeper. 
he, really? he really he really does it up. And I mean, I think this guy's eating steaks like five days a week. He's, He's taking care of you guys. I mean, you have people over. Sometimes you're going with the lesser end products, you know. Yeah, like, no, he's you know, taking care of us. Eating steak. That's that's a good teammate to, to stay around. If he's giving you steaks and steaks are delicious. Okay. What was your favorite TV show growing up? I mean, I think it's hard to beat SpongeBob, man. SpongeBob? Which SpongeBob character did you identify with the most? I can't. I don't think I can. I can really relate. <laughs> you can't relate think, with cartoon characters. Yeah. Up under the <laughs> not now in that one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, right. can't, I can't give you one of that. What do you do to to relax these days? In Houston or in Hawaii? Both. Two different. Back home, I love just going to the beach with the family. Man, I just we stay at the beach all day and jump in the water, relax, surf a little bit. Um, but out here, I mean, I just been hanging out. With, some of the guys on the team getting getting to know some some people and you know I found a nice church out here that I really love so um, it's been great man that's good tell me about the defense what have you been most impressed with through the first few weeks of OTAs as far as what you you think you might be able to do well I just love you know the the way Lovey uh, is it runs his defense and I mean the guy's a legend you know he's he, he really allows you to just be a player and just play and, and play fast. And, um, you know, for, for the first time in my career, I really feel like um, I can, I can be used to my full, full capability, you know? So I'm, I'm really excited for that. And what is your full capability? I mean, just, just being able to run, run and gun, man, just, yeah. just find a ball. All right. Way back when the transition from home to college, you went to Eastern Illinois. Mm-hmm. What was the big difference there for you? What was the biggest challenge and change? It was the biggest difference in every single way possible. <laughs> I remember I never left Hawaii in my life. I didn't even have a visit to Eastern Illinois. I actually just got dropped off there. And the first shock to me was just the cornfields. I was rattled about that. Um, the people were, you know, I don't know, no offense to Illinois people, but they're a little different there too. Um, it's just everything. My first time seeing seasons, you know, four seasons yeah. and seeing the leaves change and my first time seeing snow too. So that's a big, uh, it's a big difference than what you had back home for sure. Absolutely. Listen, we're really excited to have you. We appreciate you coming on with us and we can't wait to talk with you more in the future. Best of luck this season, best of luck this off season. And uh, one last thing, how often do you get to go home to Hawaii these days? Hey, usually, you know, if I'm, if I'm not here, I'm there. Okay. Know, whenever, whenever I'm not in, season or in training I'm, I'm there so uh i get back a little bit good to hear all right well take care thanks for the time we'll talk with you again soon awesome brothers talk to you soon all right all right you know i gotta let that funky music fade out at the very end but that was great stuff and appreciate drew for getting that done in the off season and maybe we convinced Drew to do more of those because they are outstanding Outstanding. I like to see Drew do uh, a Drew's dozen with either and or and or or both. Whatever. I don't know. However you would say it. Nick Casario and David Kelly. Those would be kind of fun. Anyways, I digress. We have one segment left. We'll go round the league next. Julio Jones. Big news yesterday. Led the way. But there's more. We'll do that next right here on Texans Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you yet again. The seismic news, I use the word seismic because I think 
one player won't often seemingly shift the fortunes of the entire NFL, but Julio Jones is one of those players. Now, I don't think we looked at Atlanta and thought, okay, well, with Julio, Atlanta was going to be one of those teams, but Kansas City with Julio could have been one of those teams. Seattle with Julio and DK, good grief, and Tyler Lockett. That would have been one of those teams. What have you gone to Indianapolis? How does that change things there in Indianapolis? So it had seismic you know, impact throughout the league and especially the AFC and most especially in the AFC South. And, of course, the Titans have been talking about it all day long. A.J. Brown is like, I'm the best recruiter in the world because he has been pushing hard for Julio to join the Titans for a long time. Albert Brewer's got a pretty good article. He actually talks to John Robinson about what it took to really get this deal together. And apparently the sticking point was Atlanta knowing that a second round pick from Tennessee was probably going to be in the fifties said, Hey, look, we, we need something else. We need to sort of sweeten this deal, if you will, a little bit. So Tennessee threw in a fourth Atlanta threw in a sixth, going the other way. And that's what it took Julio in a sixth for a second and a fourth. Now, if you're Tennessee, you're sitting there thinking, well, basically, we gave up a third-round pick because we're going to finish in the top four in the league. And we're going to be an AFC championship team with him. That's going to that's gonna make that a like an outside-the-top-60 pick that they're sending to Atlanta. Atlanta's hoping that Tennessee goes in the tank, guys get hurt, and that's a 3-14 and 14 team. And then uh, Atlanta's going to have themselves a top-40 pick. I think it is somewhere around that range between 55 and 60 where the Titans end up. Again, we talked about it with Mark earlier. That defense still, yeah, they got Danico Autry, who I think is going to make an impact. Bud Dupree's coming off a torn ACL. You know, Harold Landry's not got it done on the other side. I do think Jeffrey Simmons is an absolute dude in the middle. But beyond that, Kevin Byer at safety, I love. I've always been a big fan of his, but I don't think they can cover yet. I think Caleb Farley will be a player for them. And I hope it's not as a rookie, but I think he's going to be a player if he's healthy. He hasn't had a lot of healthy time on the field at Virginia Tech. Uh, I love Elijah Molden. They got him in the fourth, end of the third round, I think, end of the third round. So I still think that defense could cost him at some point. But if they outscore everybody, my goodness. Now, the Titans aren't the only ones doing work over the weekend. I thought this was pretty interesting. Tony Jefferson was a safety who played for the Ravens. Had some pretty good years with the Ravens. But he tore his ACL in October of 2019. And that's very similar to what happened to Justin Britt. I think it was week... It was somewhere in an October time frame of 2019. And because of that, I think that's you know such a tough time to tear it. Because if you have some other structural damage that goes on, man, that could be really tough to come back for that in a year and be fully healthy to go, especially in a COVID year. Well, that's what happened to Tony Jefferson. He was released last February. He was signed by the San Francisco 49ers. So he hasn't played since October 2019, but he has headed to the San Francisco 49ers where I think he's got an opportunity to play. I think it's a good spot. But Tony Jefferson, a guy I loved coming out of Oklahoma, ends up with the San Francisco 49ers after missing a couple of years. The Ravens, I mentioned them because that's where Tony Jefferson had been. 
also making some waves with a running back. Not a rookie, no, well, not a rookie anymore, but not J.K. Dobbins, but they're backup. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. They're complimentary back. Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards and the Ravens reached a deal, two-year extension worth $10 million. Gus Edwards was undrafted coming out of Miami, scheduled to make $3.38 million in 2021 on a restricted free agent tender, but this extension then takes him all the way through 2023. So he'll play under that $3.38 million in 2021, and then he'll get the two years $10 million on 2022-2023. That, I think, is it's great for Gus Edwards. But if you look around the league and you're thinking about how running backs are paid throughout the league, if you're not a Derrick Henry or you're not a Ezekiel Elliott, then you're pretty much in this, this you know, price range, if you will. He had a pretty solid year last year. He's gone for over 2,000 yards in his career, uh, and he's only 26 years old. I think it's a good move for the Ravens. Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson, and thank God the Texans aren't playing them this year because I hate facing those three guys, man. That is really, really tough to face them. And the last two times we faced him, Mark Ingram was a killer. Well, now he's on our side, and hopefully he will uh, be a killer against other teams. One other piece of news about Mark Ingram. I don't know if you guys saw this. We'll close with this. Mark Ingram became part of the ownership group of the D.C. United in the MLS. He is, now he's not the the sole owner, but he is one of the group uh, that is going to purchase the D.C. United. Said Ingram in a statement, D.C. United are a club rich with tradition and ripe with promise. I am excited about the recent investments the club has made to build towards a sustainable future and the decisions they have taken at the leadership level, both on and off the pitch. Additionally, the club's values have been on full display recently, and they align with my beliefs. I look forward to playing an active role in the ownership group to help our club compete for more major trophies and deepen our impact in the community. That's pretty cool. So Ingram now joins the group of Patrick Mahomes with the Royals, Aaron Rodgers with the Bucks, of professional players owning professional teams, obviously not in their sports, but in other sports. So congratulations to Mark Ingram and congratulations to me for finishing the show, to all of you for listening, Joanna for producing, and just get it done on Monday. You guys are the best. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.